Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is always optimistic and joined by the RBA. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, the man himself, Andrew Ram Page from strawman.com. How are you, Andrew? Scott, I am very well, my friend. Uh, how are you? How has your week been? Mate, it's been excellent. Uh, can't complain. Plenty of rain here, but that's what happens. Um, yep. Mate, yeah, a good week. A good week of, of news. My, my shares aren't going the right way, can I say, at the moment. I'm not, I'm not in a good week on my portfolio, but that's all right. I, that's just life. I'm happy to, happy yep. to live with that. How about you? Uh, yeah, I know that feeling well, my friend. It's, uh, it's a, always a case of two steps forward, one step backwards. But <laughs> exactly. As long as it's a net movement in the right direction, I'm, I can live with that. Yeah, I hope so. We've mentioned companies I own before and you've, you you chided me last week, so I'm not going to mention the company's name, but suffice it to say, uh, if that can start <laughs> going in the right direction, my portfolio would look a lot healthier. Mate, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get onto the podcast itself though. Um, speaking of optimism, I mentioned at the top, the RBA out this week with an interest rate decision, surprising nobody, but their, their feedback, their, their, their commentary, their forecast were certainly worth talking about. We'll talk mm-hmm. about one of those in particular being inflation. And I'll make, make a very seamless segue that people won't ever notice to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting that was held this Sunday just gone. We'll talk about Definitely. bank profits, of course, and the fact that Westpac is now going back to court. One, I was going to say one last time, one more time. Let's just say that. Oh, Be brave for us to say it's the last time. And because you, well, you've, you've, bought, you've bought crypto to the podcast, for better or worse. We're going to talk about Dogecoin <laughs> and you're going to make me talk about something I was wrong about. It's not crypto, by the way, at least not yet. Uh, but we'll talk about all of that, mate, and I'm sure a whole lot more in this weekly podcast. Should we get on with it? It sounds good, mate. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, the RBA, I, I continue to be baffled, bemused, concerned, uh, disinterested, <laughs> all of the above. They were out this week with their interest rate decision. The easiest job in the world, being the RBA governor these days, is simply to say, yep, still no change, back to the drawing board. And that's the easy bit. There's a lot going on under the surface, though, the proverbial duck with the legs going nuts and the and the, the body kind of floating serenely on top. So it's worth kind of unpacking some of what happened this week. So yes, rates on hold 0.1%. That happened mm. or didn't happen, depending on which way you want to look at it. And inaction is still an action, I suppose. So that happened. But a really meaningful upgrade to pretty much all of their forecasts across the board. Economic yeah. growth was going to be 3.5% in 2021, according to the RBA. That's now up to 4 and three quarter percent That's a meaningful mm. jump. And yeah. they're holding the growth rate in 2022 at 3.5%. So that's a net, in, net increase. The unemployment rate, they were saying 55 by the end of the year. They're now saying 45 by the end of the year. Amazing. One percentage point drop in unemployment, which means a whole lot more Australians employed, which is excellent, particularly because, yep. as we know, we are already employing a record Number of Australians, you'd expect that. The population gets bigger, the economy gets bigger, but record number of Australians employed. Unemployment rate's going to fall further if the RBA is right by the end of the year. All really positive, all really great. Everything going in the right direction. And yet, <laughs> they kept rates on hold because of the one little thing that normally the rest of us hate, in this case, the RBA is looking for, and that's prices increasing. Mm. Despite mm. everything going on, despite the economic growth, despite the unemployment, despite corporate profits, which we'll talk about in a second with the banks, despite all of this stuff, the RBA can't find inflation for love nor money. And that mm. still remains, it's going to be the big topic. They're still saying late 2024 for the next rate increase. I mean, that's three and a half years away, effectively. Um, yeah. Uh, I, it's it's just a remarkable... So I, you know, <laughs> I, I still... I still the, the, the kid 
that went to, to high school and uni talking about stagflation and high inflation and all that stuff and what normal interest rates were and I, I, I think I'm a victim of my childhood because I still can't get my head around how it's possible that with the economy growing at almost 5%, with unemployment supposed to be under 5%, I mean, those were, un, you know, when we had rates of 5%, 6 7%, which all of those, those numbers were, weren't even possible, right? We never had less than 5% mm. unemployment. We never had GDP growth of that. Uh, what's going on? I, I don't know. It, it is. It, we've, <laughs> we've mentioned it many times before. It is this. It is this idea of a very, very blunt we instrument have. trying to deal with a very nuanced and, and, and complex um, system. Um, I, I do really think that the the RBA is um, is kind of stuck in a lot of ways. The, the, the difference, I suppose, today than what it was years ago was. I would I would wager would be just the level of debt mm, in the mm. system. So before, when you when you had interest rates around five uh, percent mm, mm. or so, um, the, the affordability of your loans is probably similar mm. to what they were today. The difference being accounted for just the sheer volume of it. And what that why that makes things difficult is that well you don't you don't have to put up rates much for people to really feel it. Um, uh, is one thing, and and then there's the other, because there's so much debt, um, particularly in the household sector, mm. um, you risk actually uh, messing things up quite a bit if if you're not careful with that kind of stuff. And everyone finds all these households find mm. that they're mm. spending a lot more money on just servicing their loans. Um, you know, it, it 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 could have all these ripple effects throughout the economy. So they're walking a very very fine line. Um, it's going to be fascinating. I, I tend to, I tend to sort of. As you, you and I both um, agree on, I think I don't think it's, it's a bit of a mugs game to try and predict what they're going to do in the next month or you know the next six months or anything like that. But I, I do seem to have a, a high degree of confidence that at some stage over the next few years we, we are going to see rates increase. I mean, we kind of we kind of need to. Uh, it's either it's either things stay mm. in a in a well, I shouldn't say stay because as you've just pointed out, things are going pretty well, but. You know, things don't improve much from here, which doesn't warrant any uh, increase, which isn't a, a great thing, or, or they do, in which case things start to get a little bit hot and and then inflation starts to run away and, th- and then their hand is forced. So I, I feel as though I, I take the general view that it's probably to, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. I, I, w- I would say any investor out there is probably pretty bold if they think interest rates are going to stay at 0.1% for the next five, mm. 10 years. It, it seems as though, well, the only direction is up. Who knows when, who knows by what yeah. amount, but that's the likely direction that it's going to go in. I think the new normal is interesting because I agree with you that, mm. that rates, I mean, almost by definition have to go up over the long term. <laughs> um, it's it, it well this is the problem though right i mean we are we are victims of our own past and the assumption they must go up because they must go up is kind of we're kind of implying that there's some sort of mean reversion which is basically yeah. a, a fancy term for saying things tend to go back to the average over time and so the, the lower they are if the average is three and then out point one they tend to go back towards the average that makes some logical sense i don't even disagree with you but part of what's informing our own assumptions is well mm. it did in the past so i guess it must again and so that's probably what should happen it seems logical it seems normal but i i think if you if you if you told us about the mm. last 10 years mm. and said is it possible no no of course it's not possible no no of course not in fact i so i recommended computer share to our share advisor members way back mm. in the day mm. on the hey mm. ready to go up at some point soon thesis in part it wasn't just that but that was kind of the cherry it was like Good business, operating business, going to grow, going to do okay. Yeah. And by the way, man, once interest rates go back up, these guys are going to make a fortune. 
and and that must have I don't know when that was it was probably 2014 2015 2016 what some point in the past and it you know I was expecting it to happen I, I you know to some degree the last 10 years almost should should make us reconsider our own expectations about the fact that you know hang on well if rates are supposed to go up why aren't they and yeah. how far into the future do you do you do you kick that you know the five ten years in the future maybe it'll go up at some point i mean that was we'll go to buffett in a second but warren buffett famously said years ago if rates stay shares are cheap if rates stay this low and in, and implicit in his comment yeah. was of course they won't but of course they have and that's kind of you know as the the old cliche goes in in investing uh, being early is imperceptible it's or, the same as know, being is, is, uh, what's yeah, the phrase yeah. uh, you, you can't basically it's it, same thing as being wrong right same as being wrong yeah yeah so you know if it's in 10 years time we're finally right by then we could have made a squillion dollars in the meantime waiting for this thing that happened now how do we i mean what well what i think i think why, there's, why there's an argument to be made that the rba probably wants to rates to go back up so it has a little bit of ammunition for the next recession now there, there is going to be another recession at some point maybe it's next um, mm. week mm. oh it can't be next week because it takes two quarters so maybe mm. it's in six months time or maybe or, or maybe it's 10 years down the track <laughs> but let's say it happens what does the rba do I mean, historically, they would lower interest rates to help stimulate the economy. I mean, you can't really lower it from where it is uh, at the moment, um, barring the potential for, for negative interest rates. So there's, there's probably an argument to be made that, you know, slowly, 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 gently, gently, they, they would like it to go up just so they've got that, that lever to pull on when they need it again. Because if, if things get tough, I mean, what's the RBA going to do? They've really just got, what, quantitative easing. Um, and jawboning left, and and that's you know so that's it, it's it is right. Exactly. I, I don't know. It's exactly. fascinating. The other thing that Buffett was saying, of course, is that when interest rates are zero, you can almost r- rationalise infin- infinite share prices. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's right. And this is I mean this is the weird thing, right? Like the, the, we won't go into the maths because it's just a crappy thing to try and do on a podcast. But the the, the, the so called discount rate that you're supposed to use when it comes to investing. And the growth rates you're supposed to assume when it comes to company profit growth, when the discount rate's low enough, the growth rate's high enough, the whole the the, the, the very yeah. fundamental maths of finance literally falls apart. Like it it, it, yeah. it, it quite I mean you, literally the price share price are infinite, which is kind of, kind of not possible, yeah. <laughs> by, by almost by definition. Uh, but I mean that's that's the other question, Rose. How do you how do you how do you have faith in in a, in a set of financial models that we've lived the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years by? It's like, yeah, but these don't work when rates are at this level. This is literally, it's almost, yeah. it's almost quantum physics and physics, right? Like yep. it, it yep. works. And you always look at the other side. And it doesn't have completely irrelevant. Here. So forever, like this is all all mediated through bonds. Larger, the bond market really sort of drives these things. And at the end of the day, someone's going, he's saying, I am prepared to lend money. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of governments have done this around the world. I will lend you money for ten years, and I don't expect any return on that. Just pay it back at the end. And and you've got to think that at a mm-hmm. at a point that, that that's going to become less and less and less uh, f- feasible, particularly when there are alternatives out there. Now, it might, we've we've often sort of quoted on on, on this show mm-hmm. that the long term average of the share market is ten percent. You know, it's never exactly ten percent, but you know, over time it tends to average out at, right. at about that amount. My view tends to be is that I think one thing that's probably a sensible view is that over the next five, 10 years, that market average will be a lot lower. Um, just because all the levers have sort of been pulled, we've had that, we've had the boost from from interest rates. Well, that, you know, we can't yeah. really do much more on that front. 
we've had we've had some really strong growth in as we sort of undergo these massive structural transitions in the economy, particularly with technology and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's that's kind of sort of priced in there as well. Um, and, and then he's like, well, what what else is it that drives the market? I I just tend to think. I don't know. I would never bet on it because I'm not that silly. But I, I, I would just think that that you know you, you right. I, 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 I'm, I'd be surprised if if it's if it's going to be uh, above ten percent on average over the next five years. I, I think we would probably be more realistic, mm-hmm. assuming a six or seven percent. And investors happy to take that. Happy to take that because again, it's a comparative game out there, and it's like, well, six percent sounds pretty ordinary for equity investing. But I tell you what, it's a hell of a lot better than a term deposit that's paying me nothing or a bond yeah. that's paying me nothing. And so it's, it's, all, it's all comparable. Um, I don't know. It's a conundrum. Yeah. It really, really is. And I think that... I think we might have said this in last week, but mm. the, the problem with the conundrum is yeah. it actually has real world implications. Like it genuinely does, which is Buffett's point, right? I mean, Buffett missed the entire GFC, GFC, how am I going? I'm getting old. The entire COVID recession because he was waiting yeah. either for worse things to happen or lower prices or something. And so he's now got $145 billion in cash. And again, we'll talk about this in a second. Although by the time I've done that, I probably mentioned him enough times we'll have done the segment already. But he's, um, you know, $145 billion in cash that he can't find a home for. And it's largely because he just chooses not to, and I'm not going to tell him he's wrong, but he chooses not to invest at these rates because mm. he's, to your point, he's like, well, the future returns aren't great. I'm not going to do it. But man, at some point, that, that, that $100 billion drag yeah. on returns for what, three, four, five, six, seven years? Uh, at some point, he actually would have been better to invest in a lower returning asset at 6%, 7% than hold out for a 10% return he might finally find in 2024, by which time he's got 10 years of nothing. The opportunity cost of that, that lower return is actually more expensive than waiting for the better one. has been um, famous in, in, with Berkshire never issuing a dividend and being quite um, firm on that. And for those that don't yeah. know, he, he's basically, his argument is, is that, well, why would I give you cash when I can keep it and probably get a 15, 20% return on that mm. on average, you're mm. far better mm. off with that. And hey, if, you, if you're retired or you need some mm. cash, you can mm. always sell some of your shares if you want to do that. And that's actually been, it's actually been a remarkably effective strategy. And it's mm. one that I support. I, I, I love dividends. I think dividends are wonderful. But if a company has got a very high degree of confidence that they yeah. can get a better return on that capital than I can, then I'm better off leaving it leaving it with them. So just, just to your point, yeah. I do. I do wonder now. Buffett, I should say, has yeah. done buybacks and and has done them uh, regularly. Uh, when whenever the whenever mm-hmm. the he sees the market price below what he feels the intrinsic value of Berkshire is worth, and that's also a, a very effective return yeah. to shareholders yeah. as well. Yeah. More more particularly in the US, where they don't have franking credits and the like. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, I wonder, with all that cash burning a hole in his pocket, no good opportunities if he finally bites the bullet and goes, you know what, Berkshire's paying a dividend. I mean, yeah, it, it, I, I do wonder, frankly, what level of ego is involved there. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a massive Buffett fan, as our listeners well and truly know. I own Berkshire Hathaway mm-hmm. shares for full disclosure. Let's get that out of the way now, so over the rest of the podcast. Um, I, he's not, he, he has an ego like all of us. Um, he thinks you'll find a space for it. But I, I guess that's almost my point, right? Is like, if he thinks that share prices are too expensive on whatever metrics he's using, it's back to the interest rate question of like, he's still, he's still I assume, of the, of the view that, eventually when this writes itself, I'll have opportunities. And so it'd be a waste of time me giving the dividend to Scott because I'm going to keep it. And when I find those 20% opportunities mm. next time there's a crash or when rates finally go up or when the market somehow normalizes, yeah. 
oh, that's that's when I'll that's when I'll spend all that money and make a fortune. And and it's that worldview that that's almost what I mean. I mean, he he's the living. We're literally watching this play out in real time, right? The question of how long do you wait? What do you wait for? What do you expect the future to look like? Uh, you know, if Buffett never gets an opportunity to invest that his hurdle rate at that mm. intrinsic value, either by the way, Berkshire shares or other companies. Mm. I mean, Berkshire has now two hundred eighty mm. bucks. I'm pretty oh the, the B class. Pretty happy mm. about that, right? They were under under two hundred bucks at the, during the recession, so they've come back nicely. But if he's using the same yeah. sort of return hurdle, he's going to look at Berkshire shares and say, well, they're expensive too, and the money keeps growing and growing yeah. and growing, and at some point, the cash pile is half of Berkshire's market cap. Um, I think you're right. They've, they've got to do something at some point. Either you say, look. This is getting zero return. We'll give it to our member, our investors yeah. because they, if they get zero as well, then they're no worse off and I can't find enough place for it. But i I, I got to believe there's a... And I don't want to say ego. I don't literally mean it derogative, in a derogative sense. I literally just mean like we all have ego of we think we're smart enough to do this. I'll keep the cash because when I can use it, I'm a smart guy. I've done this 50 years. Mm. When when circumstances right themselves, I'll be able to buy. And again, who, who am I to say Buffett's wrong, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is the best thing ever, and he'll make some great 150 billion dollar acquisition in, 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 you know, in a year's time, and yeah. and earn 20 percent returns on that. Look like a well, that, like that's a that's his other problem um, just, is just that he he is playing with such vast quantities of capital that you know where you and I I would argue will and, yeah. and all our listeners, uh, unless there's any billionaires sort of listening out there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're always going to, I would argue, <laughs> if, you, if you do the work, you, you will always be able to find pockets of opportunity because there's just places that, that, you know, the big guys can't go. But, you know, he, exactly. he's, he's not going to be able to buy a $50 million uh, company yeah. and move the dial in any way, shape or form. So it's, it's, it's not that he, only that he has to find value. Right. He has to find value amongst mega, mega large corporations. <laughs> that's, that's super hard as well. And it's a competitive uh, system out there as well. There'll be other people who will say, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're prepared to pay a lot more for that and accept a lower return just because we've also got money burning a hole in our pocket. It's and this leads me back to to my initial statement there that it just yeah. it makes me think that we should probably expect lower <laughs> average returns in in the medium uh, term because because I just I just don't see a way around it. My question for you then, on behalf of our listeners, is: Let's assume we have to accept lower returns. Yeah. What do we do differently, or is there anything to do? Is it just literally a matter of making your peace with it, but investing the same way, or is there a sense of okay, in a lower return world, I would skew my investing this way or that way. I would invest in this, but not that. Are there any changes you well, think, I think we should that, make um, as a result in, of in that? In some sense, no. Reality? I think I've probably said this before, but I think it's really silly to make investments where you need a whole bunch of macroeconomic things to go your way for you to do well. Um, because it, it's just it's just diabolically hard to, to predict, and yep. even the experts get it wrong all the time. So I always I just love those three most important words in investing. Was it Ben Graham who said that? Um, you know, margin of safety, mm. which is I would I would think that when you're making your investment, allow a little bit of a margin in there for the possibility that this could happen. Allow maybe lower your return expectations a little bit when you're trying mm -hmm. to do some valuation and that kind of thing. So whereas potentially, you know, you may have may have um, looked for ten percent plus returns, maybe you need to accept something a little bit lower. Let's let's be honest here. Um, it's not going to. It's not going to be the end of the world for you if in five years' time you look back and say, geez, I got 8% per annum over the last five years. It's, it's going to be annoying if the market's higher than that, although, <laughs> right. as I said, that, that's, that's going to be harder. But, but you know, yeah. it's, it, you're, still, you're still moving forward and, and the power of compounding is still mm. working for you. And an 8, 7%, 8% return is still going to double your money every 10 years. Mm. So, so 
I, and, and it comes back to the, the other thing that we were saying. So what else are you going to do? Right? Like, uh, I, I think you kind of have to. So I, 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 yeah. would, I would try and, but I always do this. I try and avoid companies that are highly leveraged. I, I try to avoid companies that are, that are highly cyclical. Um, I try to avoid companies that have very little pricing power, um, mm. uh, those kinds of things. So the kind of companies that I think you go for are the ones that are going to be most resilient anyway. And, and I've, I've already been doing this, frankly. I've, I've, I've had right. to accept uh, or, or pay higher prices than otherwise I would have been prepared to, say, five, ten years ago, just because, well, what else do I do? I, I, I risk leaving it all in, in cash and, and getting nothing. And, right. you know, maybe I look... Well, I mean, that's what, that's what Buffett's doing though, right? Buffett's making exactly the, asking the same question, about asking, doing something very different. He's saying, I'll actually, I will leave it in cash, but, thank you very much. I'll, I'll wait and see. Um, but that, but that's, that, that's, that's the open question, right? What do you do in that, that is that things will, things will get better soon. Because if, to your point, if they right, don't, right. Then, then, then he's, he's, he's in yeah. trouble. So I, I don't want to question the great man, but I, I, I don't want to be in that yep. position where I'm, I am reliant on that happening because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret it if, if, if it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I like that, mate. I think that's I think that's absolutely true. I, I do think that what the, the one bit of advice I would give our listeners is is when it comes to those lower returns, if they do eventuate, is don't oh God, take no. on silly risks to try and make back the difference. If you want to get ten percent a year and you think you can do it, then do. And you know, by the way, if the market does eight, you might be able to get ten or eleven or twelve if you pick the right stock. So I'm not saying it can't be done. All I am saying is don't look at it and go, man, only eight. I've got to take more risk than I've got to go and you know put my life savings into this dodgy spec miner <laughs> or biotech or cryptocurrency dare i say it andrew um you know yeah you know, but you know, don't don't try and chase those returns literally there's a, there's the, yeah. the phrase throwing good money after bad exists for a very good reason do not throw good money after bad trying to chase a return that is out of your or our as a group league as it you kept you yeah hopefully we can beat the market if the market does eight maybe we can do ten if the market does six maybe you can do eight or nine that'd be great um so by all means always try and do your mm. the best you, you can in terms of your long-term stock picking and investing um, but recognizing that you know chasing chasing taking on stupid risk for a little bit more return it, is it really is um, although I'd also um, acknowledge how difficult it is there is um, I forget who said this I might have said it last week as well but there is nothing more painful than watching mm. your neighbors get rich and and you know what I mean and so here you are thinking <laughs> nope I'm going to be prudent yeah, exactly. do all of these kinds of things and then let's say hypothetically for the next two years yeah, everyone yeah, makes yeah. a squillion yeah. dollars because the market goes crazy and Dogecoin goes up another four thousand percent, and you know, yeah. and here you are thinking, "Wait a second, I'm doing the right <laughs> thing." And, and then it's very easy to reach that point of capitulation. We think, "Stuff it, I can't take this anymore. I'm joining the party." Mm. Um, and and that it's it's, it's always it's yeah. always yeah, oh right. man, it is it is always the capitulation. Trade. That emotional thing is always. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> that's the hard part with investing. Yeah. All these other stuff, any any anyone you know of average capability can, can really get their is. head around it and do well in it. That that's that's not the hard part. It's the emotional stuff that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like it a lot, mate. Let, let's let's move on. Um, the uh, well, a half move on. Uh, the RBA is worried about inflation. I was really um, struck by Buffett's comments during the Berkshire AGM about yeah. the inflation that they're seeing in their companies. Yeah. They are seeing costs going up across the board. Uh, randomly, I saw on Twitter, and I've had someone else tell me this separately, actually. I can't remember what it, in what context it was. Um, 
I do actually remember it was a, I went to a CPA Australia conference in, in the Illawarra in uh, southern Sydney or south of Sydney uh, and someone was talking about the, the price of wood the lumber wow. prices are up between 60 yep. and 200 percent around the world um, Buffett's seeing inflation uh, well, businesses are reporting inflation it's not coming through the numbers yet but and, and look you know you want to be careful of anecdotes the, as as uh, a quote I got from Morgan Housel our next uh, Motley Fool uh, employee in the US a great writer who said oh, the plural is of good. anecdote is not data That's which I quite great. like just got a couple of anecdotes I mean you can turn isn't that great um, but but you know a Buffett anecdote Buffett has Buffett has more mm. physical working capital by the way than any company in the United States so there are bigger companies bigger market caps but in terms of the dollar value of the assets on the balance sheet Berkshire is bigger than anybody, so you can assume they should know a few things about what's going on across the economy. They're seeing inflation. I said, people here are reporting inflation. I, I mean, you know, we as bill payers, none of us like inflation, but we know it's important for the economy to have some. It feels like, I, I don't know, mate, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always loathe to criticise the Reserve Bank, mostly because they, I assume they know more than I do, right? They've got more data, more sources, more people. Uh, they've done more study. They've been working this for longer. And here's he he Muggins over here saying, I think I know better than the Reserve Bank Governor. That's always a dangerous proposition. Um, so I'm not saying he's necessarily wrong or, or even that he's not seeing it either, but I don't know, mate. Inflation feels I think a lot so closer too. Than, and and than here's another thing. So I've often said it before. These a lot of these figures, metrics, they they they're an average. Um, they're they're spread across a whole bunch of different things. And so you can have overall low inflation, but within that, pockets of very high inflation. So, for example, I just brought up the CPI figures from from the bureau, yeah. and alcohol and tobacco was seven point nine percent higher over the last twelve months. So, you know, if you like a drink and a smoke, right. you, you, it's actually been incredible, <laughs> incredible in, in inflation over the last year. Furnishing household equipment. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. One of the conversation. Taxes, by the way. Uh, uh, households, uh, uh, household equipment services furnishing, that's up 2.7%. <laughs> Health is up 3%. Um, so th- there, are, there are going mm. to be pockets there. And so that, that means that people yeah, will right. feel it differently depending on, on what their consumption habits are and what, re- what their requirements are. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when things start to move in, in, in concert, yeah. which is, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, we we had, a, we had we touched on it last week. There are some things in there that make me think that there are there are structural factors at play, just in terms of how you know the globalized uh, nature of yeah. of manufacturing yeah. and goods. Technology is a huge one. We just we're far more efficient at producing things, and that's how it's helped drive prices down. So then the other question yep. is, I, I suppose, is how much. How much further can that kind of run as well? Maybe, maybe that will sort of help save us. You know, we, maybe we just manage to keep prices down because we're just we're just so much better at, at, at manufacturing goods and, and the rest of it. Um, I, I don't know, mate. I honestly, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it is. It is really tough. And of course, wage inflation. The other thing, people are reporting they can't find staff. And I did see one. <laughs> I did see one tweet from um, U.S. economist Betsy Stevenson. I'm a big fan of. Married to yep. the Australian economist Justin Wolfers, by the way, to give us a bit of an Australian connection. Uh, both both gurus and geniuses in their own right. Betsy Stevenson's <laughs> kind of pointed tweet was, "Have you tried paying them more?" <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. And that's and that's kind of. I, 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 I laugh, and there'll be some business owners cursing me as leaders in this right now. But that's kind of the point, right? Like the RBA wants to see wage inflation. The labour market, in theory, is tightening. Mm. Um, this is kind of one of, the, and this is again for those of us who are over a certain age. I mean, when, when I was a 
was when I was in high school and uni, I studied the Accords of 1983, right, where the, the, the government yeah. and the trade unions basically did a deal to stop hyperinflation killing us. And then you got the reverse where you got, you know, and, that, and the reason it was hyperinflation was prices went up, so workers wanted more money. And workers got paid more money, so prices went up because the cost of their labour increased the cost of goods. And that was the, the vicious circle, right? We're now kind of in the, the opposite vicious circle, which is no infl- no no price inflation, so no one's going to pay increase, and no one's going to pay increase, there's no price inflation. And it's one of those things, right? The, the job of, and this is this is where politics gets difficult and, and even policy gets difficult. The, the, the policymaker's job is to keep a really, yeah. you know, constructive tension between all that. Business don't want don't want to yeah. don't want to pay more, sure, but they want their customers to spend yeah. more. Okay, well, you know, there's a link there. Um, you know, the economy wants to grow, but it doesn't want to grow too fast and get out of control. Okay, the interest rates are. You know, there's this is the, the economist's job, the government job, the regulator's job, the banker's jobs are to literally kind of try and mid, you know create this middle ground where there are always going to be tensions. Business are always going to pay more than they want. Consumers are going to pay more than they want. Interest rates are going to be higher than than borrowers want, but lower than savers want. That's kind of their job, right? That's that's the job of these institutions to try and keep things roughly equally, or at least you know that that creative tension, competitive tension. Yeah, yeah. Just I think to try I and think make sure the economy does fair. do what it's, it's supposed to do. Uh, you're going to lure me into a, a, a thread here, but I, I I do think a lot of the time too, and there's, there's probably something to be said with the, the influence and power <laughs> of lobbyists these days too, which I think distort and mess up everything. But you know, it's like oh, you can't do that, and right. prices will go up, and that's going to come back, and it's going to cost jobs. There's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of there's a lot of pseudo facts and, and stuff that are out there. Right. But man, as you mentioned the other day, I mean, if I can buy a t-shirt for right. five dollars, if that t-shirt going up 20% in value is going to send yeah. uh, the economy into a nosedive. Like, honestly, you know, r- really, is, is, is there, are, we that, are we on that much yeah, of an yeah, edge yeah. where these ridiculously low prices um, can't be increased if, if, if necessary? Um, I saw a tweet the other day, in fact, yeah. someone talking about um, uh, Apple prices. <laughs> uh, you might have seen it as well. And it's sort of like, well, look, if we did have to pay our, our fruit pickers a little bit more, we actually worked that out, the price per apple. It's it's bugger all, you know? It's sort of, it sounds scary in terms of big numbers, but I'm, I, yeah, I often, I, yeah. this is going to make me sound like a, a, yeah. a bit of a, an asshole, but there's, you, you often hear it too when, when, some muggins out there has leveraged themselves up to the eyeball and done all this really stupid stuff and then the bank puts interest rates up or something and admittedly this hasn't happened for a while um, and they go oh it's so unfair and what's happened and you're just like well I mean <laughs> at a at a, at a at a point, you, it comes back. It comes back to sort of that preparing for the worst, hoping for the best kind of thing. If we are really that highly strung, if we are really that close to the edge, mm-hmm. that's that speaks to, to 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 deeper problems. I think. I think put kicking the lobbyists and the self interests out, out the door for a second. I, I actually think in a lot of areas we could and probably <laughs> should wear higher prices on some things. Um, revealing my politics here a little bit too. I think that's absolutely mm-hmm. the case with electricity costs and power costs and the rest of it. You often hear, oh, if we were to do this, you know, it, it's it's going to cost average households an extra $200 a year. And that's a very real cost and that's going to hurt. But I, I do think, geez, are you really, for the most of us, on, on that close to the edge and those that aren't, are we really unable to support them in, in, in meeting mm-hmm. these very, very mm-hmm. basic human needs? I don't know. I, I do. Th- I do think when when you hear yeah. a lot of the rhetoric that's out there, it's worth it's worth having a look at the the self interests of the people saying this. I don't always think it's as bad as what they will make will make out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 
It is. I, I, and look, no one's not self-interested. No one's unbiased. But I agree with you. We're going to have budget. I was going to talk about the budget briefly. We're going to have the budget next week. And when the budget is handed down, they'll ask the Council of Social Services what they think. And they will say, welfare of aren't getting enough. And they'll ask business what they think. And they'll say, business taxes are too high. And they'll ask unions what they think. And they'll say, wages aren't high enough. And we'll go around and around and around and around. It's like, you can pretty much mail in the answers, right? And, you know, they're not, they're not wrong to ask those people. And those people are lobby groups for the best of reasons. And we should actually really hear from those people. That's yeah. th- Those inputs are really, really useful for policymakers. I think, as you say, no matter your politics, uh, we should always be questioning our side, their side, no one's side. To make sure, yeah, okay, great. I hear you, business. Thank you. I hear you, ACOS. Thank you. I hear you, unions. Thank you. I hear you, whichever group, right? And you say, great. Got a lot of input. No one's going to be. We can't. We can't make it perfect here. Our job is, and we say our job. Our job as commentators. The government's job as policymakers. The regulators and legislators' jobs are to take all that input and say, right. Given all that, what is the least worst of these outcomes? <laughs> you know, you're not going to get a perfect outcome ever because you've got to have to trade stuff off all the time. But as you say, it's not. It shouldn't be overly unreasonable to say, let's sort this out so that we have a decent outcome, uh, the, the best national outcome, right? For mm. I, it, John Howard and Bob Hawker on stage. This is a massive tangent. John Howard and Bob Hawker on stage in the National Press Club years ago, years and years ago, and Howard said, "Words to the effect of mm. Australians don't mind making mm. sacrifices as long as they understand yep. why and as long as it's fair." And Hawke agreed. And I just thought, as always, it's a shame yeah. that polys have to leave power yeah. before they actually start talking some sense and actually start agreeing with each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the job, right? The job of those people is to say, right, what's appropriate? What's fair? No, you're not going to get everything you want, any of you, but we're going to find the right policy settings that actually create the most good for the most people in the country. That's, on one hand, the concept shouldn't be that hard, right? That's the problem with partisanship is the idea of, okay, I want this, but I know I'm not going to get it. And fair enough. Well, politics is the art of compromise. I'm going to probably be too cynical here, but I I feel as though some voices are louder than others. So very powerful business lobby groups get much more of an audience with with the powers that be than than others. So I I think there's that. I think there's also a lot of ideology that creeps into things. And, and, you know, so so yes, in theory, what you say is, is correct. Yep. Um, but at the, but but in 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 practice, yeah. I don't know. I'd like to think this isn't true, but I, I just don't think there's too many politicians these days that are making um, <laughs> balanced lo- having balanced long term thinking, which is in the best interests of as many people as possible. I think it's about yeah. well, these are the people that vote for us. We're gonna we're gonna make sure we look after them and, and stuff the others because who cares? They don't vote for us anyway. It's it's oh man, it's horribly depressing the state of the state of politics, and that's 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 what worries me. <laughs> yeah. That being said, that that's why on this podcast we've always said we are not going to shy away from policy conversations. We're not political, uh, but we will happily discuss any policy on its merits, and hopefully, yeah. we've got our own biases. By the way, you're biased, I'm biased in ways we know and ways we don't know. Um, so that, let's be really honest, we're, none, none of us is unbiased, although we'd like to be. But we're going to try and be as un, unbiased, as balanced as we can uh, when it comes to investing, when it comes to the economy, because um, that's, you know, partly people want to hear that from us. I, I've, I've had a couple of people on Twitter, <laughs> frankly, say to me, hey, dude, can you lay off the political stuff? And I'm like, you know what, I'll lay off the political stuff uh, when, when the, the politicians of both stripes, and I've, I've happily whacked both of them at different times for different reasons, um, to, to, to basically say, look, this is, you know, the right policy is uh, I was on Twitter this morning, oh, not this morning, it's uh, Thursday morning, but yesterday morning now, because this is on Friday. Um, it bang on about the, the tax break war that, you know, the governments are, uh, state governments are giving companies to move to their, their state or leave their state. Um, 
you know the cost of that I, I, I don't really care in one case it's a it's a Labour Premier in one case a Liberal Premier I don't mm. care um, so you know we'll, we'll always be forthright on policy we'll try and avoid politics uh, but if the policy happens to, if, if our view on policy happens to align with one side of politics or the yeah. other, then yeah, no, so be I, it, right? That's I, the I, I agree not, with not all the of point, that. So. It's, it's, um, we'll, uh, we'll work it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Enough about us. Let's let's <laughs> let's move on, mate. Speaking of, let's go back to Buffer for a second. The Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting was on the weekend. Um, not a lot tends to be new from Buffett and his vice chairman, Charlie Munger, these days. They've been doing this for more than 50 years. And uh, partly, they probably don't change their minds very often. Secondly, they've, they've been asked the same question so frequently that it's hard to get a brand new piece of information from them. Um, so I, I'm just going to quickly touch on a couple of key outtakes, I, th- I thought, from the Berkshire AGM as they reply, as they apply to Australian investors, just to investors in general, things that I think our listeners might want to learn from. Um, I mentioned already at the top that, that Buffett is saying inflation is here. Inflation, and this is a quote, uh, this is from a Motley Fool article in the US, I hear actually. Um, he knows, here's the quote. We are seeing very substantial inflation. It's very interesting. We're raising prices. People are rising, raising prices to us and it's being accepted. Um, he then goes on to say, it just won't stop. People have money in their pocket and they'll pay the higher prices. So worth, uh, worth just calling that yep. out as, as inflation. We've talked about that. Unless you want to add anything to that, we'll move on from that one. Um, Buffett joined my crusade. was a crusade. Joined uh, me in, in sharing some concern about the um, proliferation of free trading apps and the potential downsides for those. Um, like everything, you know, you can, you can, you can use Don't the old you know, guns that kill people, people, kill people. Yeah. We won't get into that today. But... You know, are the, are the trading apps are the trading apps bad or are they good? Well, neither at some level, um, but to the extent they gamify investing, to the extent they potentially take advantage of people uh, who otherwise maybe should have a slower and more gentle um, uh, initiation into the world of investing. Uh, the money being invested, spent, wasted, <laughs> um, the bets being made, the gambles being being placed, the bets being placed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I'm with I'm with Buffett on that one. Your thoughts on, on his com- comments on Robin Hood Intellectually, I kind of think it's a good thing to... It helps bring a- access to more people and I think more people should invest in the market. So on, on that level, I think it's right. good. But then in practice, people are people. <laughs> and, and, you know, as you say, there's a lot of stuff going on where there's just not... <laughs> sense. It's, it's just pure gambling. Um, if... Again, I forget the person. It might have been John Templeton who said, "If you treat yeah, the market yeah. like a casino, you'll get the same results." Um, which is, I, oh, it's such, a, it's such a <laughs> great quote. That one. So it's kind of like that's, oh, that's usually that my re- the reaction I get from people. And if you sort of say, oh, "I've got a bit of money in, in the market," oh, you're a bit of a gambler. It's like, well, mm. I don't. I would argue I'm not gambling at all. But I can totally see that as a reaction from from people yeah, because it looks yeah. like a massive casino and a lot of people treat it like a casino. Right. Yep. Um, so, I, I uh, easier access, a good thing. Lower brokerage, uh, a, 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 a good thing. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what these companies can do to to mitigate the, the, the bad side of that. People are going yeah. to be people. And then and then you kind of think, well, you know, we should put some regulations and rules in place, mm-hmm. but then that, that can often be a double-edged sword and have lots of unintended consequences. I think that's very much the case with a lot of the things around our financial regulation here as well. I mean, frankly, if you can... If you can fog a mirror, 
you can yeah. you can you can yeah. get your IG one four six compliance right. Like it's not as though everyone who's got that is a financial genius, right? Um, so we should just we should just break down our terms for a sec, mate. RG one four six compliance is the test that the uh, that a, a person needs to sit before being able to give financial advice. So and what Andrew's so, saying here is that you know that those tests aren't super onerous, and if you've done no. a little bit of study, you can pass them. It doesn't make you a financial genius. Now, they, they exist. So here's my point. They exist for a very good reason because yeah, the government yeah. has gone, hey, man, there's so many cowboys out there and there's so much bad <laughs> advice. We want to make sure people giving advice are qualified to do so and know what they're talking about. Hey, that right. is a really smart thing to do. That is really, really noble. So what do they do? They put these things in. But, but then in, in practice, it, yeah. just becomes, it just becomes a box-ticking exercise. In fact, I'd actually say it's Stimmy's competition and stuff because the, the, the costs and everything yeah. around it make it really hard for new players to get in. I won't bore you with my story with AFL cell <laughs> licensing and the rest of it but what a nightmare and the amount of money that you have to spend and like at the end of the day mm. I mean mm. I could be the dodgiest person in the world I can still go through that that thing so to, to, to back back to the original point here is is that yes it, it, there might be an argument to sort of put rules and stuff in place I just don't know if the ult- ultimately longer term that is that is going to actually help unless it's done in yeah. a very very intelligent way so you know I mean? it's I, a conundrum I completely agree with that I think and you, you, you allude to the, the, the cost of an Australian financial services license and that's absolutely true and, and, and it's it's both well it's both a protection racket and uh, and, and in theory something that should thin the ranks both in terms of competition but also more importantly of people who otherwise would turn up without a financial services license the amount of dodgy spruikers on Facebook Twitter Instagram and God knows what other apps would, would explode right if I, if I could not me personally I'm not going to do this if Jack Smith can go out there sorry Jack if you're listening and um, <laughs> and, and literally say hey I just made myself a financial advisor no test no regulations no licensing by the way you should go 100 times leverage on the dodgiest biotech I could find by the way I'm getting 5 million dollars from that biotech to say this but I'm not going to tell you mm. that I mean mm. that's that's the that is the unintended consequence or the risk um, yep. so many pump and dump schemes and other things that could become institutionalized really fast so I, I, I think some sort of regulation is important to your point though you know the, the the dodgy and the not dodgy alike can either afford or not afford those license fees a really yep. smart sensible thoughtful financial advisor who says I want to go and give really great financial advice but I can't afford the six figure license fee including the legals mm. and everything else that's mm. you know that person shouldn't be stopped from providing great advice on the other yeah. hand the the corporate entity who's like you know what we've got a, we've got some mafia bosses backing us here we're going to go and throw the hundred grand and get a, get a financial service license and screw people anyway it's also not stopping anybody and that's and that's kind of the the hard part is I agree with you. It's like it's like training ethics. When you do ethics class, I'm like, if you have to teach ethics class, <laughs> yes. if it, if it genuinely yeah. makes a difference to what you do, you're a strange yeah. person. If it doesn't make a difference, no one's surprised. And just because you say I've ticked the box in an ethics course, yeah, it, it, it's not enough, right? Like it's it's like the empathy training that the policy <laughs> the police. It's like, dude, you really need to be taught this. I've become like if you, now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. that is just, it is unbelievable. <laughs> it is. Empathy no, training. Okay. Yeah. Oh, just, I'm just scoffing at it. Just, it just, it's so, it is, it is so uh, just yeah. wrong. You know, that you either, you either get it or you don't. Look, you want to yeah, speak exactly. about, you want to speak about, you know, that, that kind of stuff. 
and we're, we're going to touch on this, but look mm. at Westpac. Look at all the major yeah. banks, the biggest, yeah. most venerable sort of institutions out there. And they're dodgy yep. as buggery in so oh, many different ways. Allegedly, uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. Look, well, look, I, w- I think we, we, we can say as a matter of historical record, we don't know about future cases, but in, in terms of what has been uncovered with yep. past investigations and yes. stuff. Yes. Now, these people have no problem in getting a, a financial services license and all the proper right, accreditation. Yeah. And maintaining it. You know, exactly, and, they're, yeah. and, they're facil- and they have facilitated yeah. money laundering in the past yeah. and they've done this. And look at what Crown was happening at Crown and all the rest yeah. of it. So it's sort of... I don't. I just, I, it strikes I, me. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. Back, back, well, I, yeah, I, I do have an answer, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. And it strikes me. It goes back to again, back to Berkshire, right? Charlie Munger has said, "Never think about something else when you should be thinking about incentives." Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of like yeah, that's true. if you leave an incentive for someone and say, "By the way, if you're dodgy, you can make a million dollars this year in bonuses or whatever else as a, as a financial advisor or planner or mm-hmm. stockbroker or something." Any any of these roles, right? This is our industry, by the way. I, I you know, I'm not never going to get a job anywhere else. I might come no, to you for a you job are at not. soon. Um, <laughs> but but you know, like if you think about that and think, hang on, you know, this you, you can send everybody to ethics training, right? And they might even do the training, and they might even think they're doing the training. But then when they go back to the office, if they say, and by the way, you can get a million dollar bonus here if you do these things, not, not even not even, not even incentivize them directly to be unethical or improper, just mm. when you sit down at the desk and go, oh, I, I could do that and it's probably not great. And well, it's probably fine actually. Yeah, I'll convince myself it's fine. And I get a million for doing it. it. Of course you do. Yeah. And so like, of course, yeah. uh, honestly, for all of the, I just, the banks are the same. Why does bank yep. culture get as bad as it gets? Because no one's incentivized to speak up and say, this is too much, we should stop, this is not working, we should do it differently, because mm. the money's on the other side of the table. And so, oh, plus, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's not just the, there's huge incentive to want to do it, but it's, it, there's a risk reward calculation in there as well. Right. So, Correct. well, here's, uh, it, so if it goes my way, I make a squillion dollars. If I yep. don't, I lose my job. Yep. Like, well, the worst case scenario ain't that bad in relation to what you could potentially gain here. It's like you see, you right. know, CEOs often do dodgy things and or board members and what happens? Oh, they they stood they get stood down. Like, yeah. well, that's not an there's no incentive there to do the right thing. Like, right, chuck them right. in jail, throw away the key. That might, you know, I think I think yeah. one things I would change, I would I would hold boards of directors um, to account for a lot more than what's going on in their companies. Right. Um, and, and, and I, I feel as though they would be a lot more on top of what's going on in the business if it's mm, like, holy, mm. you know, S, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one holding the can here if this all goes pear-shaped. So mm. there needs to be incentives for the, for the good and also for the bad. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mate, um, let's, let's turn to other uh, thoughts from Warren Buffett because it's important to do. Um, Bitcoin. <laughs> now, I was, yeah. I was encouraged on Twitter by one of my Twitter followers to make sure that I mentioned Warren Buffett's comments on Bitcoin. I'm not doing it because I have to. I, I'm doing because Jordan <laughs> said, uh, and he said, he, I quote, make sure to grill page on Munger's commentary re-Bitcoin. He's got one of those crying with joy emojis. I'm pretty sure that's what I'm not really an emoji kind of guy. I, I struggle with them at the best times. So I have to. I, I, not, I don't want to, Andrew. You know I don't want to. I just kind of have to. So here's what um, Munger said. Of course I hate the Bitcoin success. I don't welcome a currency that's so useful to kidnappers and extortionists, nor do I like just shoveling out a few extra billions and billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. I think I should say modestly that I think the whole damned development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. And Andrew Page, why on earth would you want to do something that is contrary to the interests of the very civilization you benefit from, my man? What is going on? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, look, I, 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 I'll take a step back. I, 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 and I've said it before and I'll say it again, right? So for those that are new here, I've, I've recently, the start of the year, I, I changed my mind on, on Bitcoin and I've, I've got a bit of Bitcoin. Kudos for that, by the way, of actually changing your mind because many investors don't. They, they hold the same view forever and never change their mind. So good on you for, uh, for, for actually doing that. But let's, let's go on to why uh, you, you're, you've, you've upset Charlie Munger so much, why you've disappointed well, him. I, I could change my mind again. So um, I, was on, I said something on Twitter the other day. I don't, let's not get into this, but I, I sold some near map shares. I was like, "Oh, but you, you why, why, why'd you do that?" And I'm like, "Well, the, you know, my interpretation of the facts changed. I got no problem with yep. with changing yep. my mind, and, and I'll change it again when, when, whenever the, the circumstances and, and the facts permit." So, but but having so having said all of that, um, I, I think that 99.9 percent of all the crypto stuff out there is insane. I 100 percent right. agree with with Munger, and I think there's a huge amount of speculation and hype out there, and it's it's going to end badly for a whole bunch of people. Um, I do think, however, that this is a genuinely new thing in, in the universe. Mm-hmm. I know maybe aliens have invented it before, but as far as our solar <laughs> system is concerned, this is a genuinely new thing that actually does have a lot of a lot of potential. And I, I think that as with, as with all new technologies, when they come, it's like when electricity uh, was first sort of commercialised, there was a big sort of battle between DC mm. and AC. Mm. There were all these startups, there was all this hype and oh, electricity, it's the best thing, it's the future. And guess what happened? There was just a whole bunch of people did a whole bunch of stupid things and then it all settled down and now we have something which is vitally important to society. So my, my argument with, with all of this is, is that I think... Um, with Bitcoin in particular, it's passed a certain threshold in terms of its it's sort of proven itself in terms of its use case. But mm. more importantly, it's passed a threshold of, of acceptance. And mm. I think there's there's a very big human dimension to this that when once something is just yeah, right. considered as valuable, it, it does. And yep. more more important than all of that is and the, the there's a there's an article on on the straw man blog if you want to read into it in more detail. But but my argument is that this is an extremely asymmetric bet. So I would actually say that probably mm. maybe maybe the odds of of, of Bitcoin uh, being worth more in the future is is less than fifty percent. Um, I don't, mm. wouldn't know mm. what the exact figure is, but it's kind of like if 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 it if it does turn out to be this giant Ponzi scheme, well, that it goes to zero. Um, mm. If it does legitimately become something uh, and a genuinely new asset class, I think it'll be yeah. worth many multiples of what it is today. So I'm actually happy to take that kind of bet. So if that that's it's it's i don't want to be seen as some evangelist for bitcoin it's great and it's brilliant it's definitely going to go up and it's going to no idea I, and i've said before i would not be surprised if it dropped 50 percent tomorrow or more or even on its even if it does become successful i i think it'll have many many huge and spectacular drawdowns and crashes along the way that's just the history of 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 technology so that that'll all happen i mean but that's a very different thing to buying dogecoin or this other crypto that's doing the rounds which i'm not going to mention the name of where where it's it's just pure in, insanity and it kind of all gets lumped within all of that kind of stuff so um i think i think look i'm, I'm not i'm not going to sit here and say that mark munger doesn't know what he's talking about i respect mm-hmm. him so immensely but i i respectfully I, I i would i would just not lump all of it together i mm-hmm. i think I think you can have a reasonable person can have a reasonable view on it as long as they've got a reasonable interpretation of the risks and they've and they've uh, uh, positioned themselves accordingly. So if it did go to zero tomorrow, I'm going to cop a loss on my exposure. Mm-hmm. But it's you know in the grand scheme of things overall with what what the money I've got invested around. Not that it's a huge amount in dollars, but in percentage terms, it's you know I've still got I'm not out in the street. You know, so I think. Yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does that make I, sense? I'm, I'm still not sure whether whether uh, Charlie Munger thinks you're acting in the contrary to the interests of civilization, but it sounds like you are, and you're not unhappy about that. And I sort of know why you hate civilization. I, I'm still not entirely sure, despite all that, why you want to be part of the downfall of civilization, Andrew. Well, what if about you, if um, you're okay with that? That's fine. I, what, I'm just saying, Charlie said you are, and you're obviously okay with that. What about credit cards, right? So <laughs> they didn't exist. Jeez, what was it? Only sixty years ago or something? Yeah, it's amazing. Right? They, they didn't exist. I mean, yeah. like, they are so fundamental to our daily lives and our financial yeah. lives. Yeah. And yet, I, I'm sure when they... I don't actually know the history of it that well, but I'm, I'm sure when they came out, people said, wait a second, what are you doing here? How much interest are you trying? I mean, this is a disaster for society. And yet, you know, there, there was a legitimate use mm-hmm. case there. And I've got credit cards. And I, I, yeah. I would argue I use them very prudently. But I would also say they can be extremely dangerous as well. So there's, 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 as with everything, mate, there's just nuance and context here. I think anyone who holds a black and white view on it is mm. probably not thinking deep enough. There's, 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 there's different probabilities at play, but few things in this world are black and white. And, and mm. I certainly don't think that crypto is, is black and white. Fair. Fair. Um, again, I still think you've, you've convinced me you're not, Contrary to the interest of civilization, but that's okay. We'll let you get away with that one. Uh, mate, it was it was, a, it was an interesting conversation generally too with Buffett. He he acknowledged making mistakes. Um, they sold a bit of Apple, which he said was a mistake. Um, it's he also fascinatingly enough effectively confirmed, or Charlie kind of effectively confirmed the new CEO once Buffett is no longer there. Uh, Greg <laughs> Abel great. is the is the head of their kind of non insurance operations. The Berkshire largely has two broad big businesses or sets of businesses one is insurance and one is non-insurance right just everything else the operating businesses yeah. the, the the things the, the companies that make things and do things and yeah. um and greg abel has has for a while now been the head of that business unit while ajit jane has been ahead of the insurance business unit in passing i was listening to this actually live i was in the car driving to uh to sunrise funnily enough on sunday morning and so i was listening to the the live stream of the um of the annual meeting and uh, that you know, the Charlie Warren Buffett's talking about keeping the culture of Berkshire after they're gone. And they're both ninety plus, right? So keep mm-hmm. the culture. And and um, Warren uh, Charlie just says in passing, oh, "Greg will keep the culture." And that was it. <laughs> what? What? And, well, and, and so and so I'm thinking to myself, does he mean as head of the ins- uh, of the non-insurance operations? Well, it would make sense, you know, if if Greg was going to be in that role, keeping the culture is important. That's part of what he does. So I thought, okay, but I also thought, surely, surely that's not. Just letting the cat out of the bag. Anyway, two days later, mm. Buffett CNBC says, "Yeah, Greg Abel's the guy." Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what was said between Warren, Warren, and Charlie once the microphones were off. Uh, some version of "Damn it, Charlie, uh, what have you just done?" Because they've kept that name quiet for a couple of reasons. Um, I think to reduce the pressure and, and exposure of the successor. Also, too, the fact that they. I mean, people have been asking. I mean, <laughs> Buffett's ninety, as I said. People have been asking about his successor for thirty-five years now, right? It's not. It's not yeah, a new question. Yeah, and so, yeah. to some degree, it's like you know, if I if I have to update it every single time, there's probably been three, four, five successes. In fact, David Sokol famously was going to be or tapped as his successor before Sokol actually bought some shares of a company that Berkshire then went on to acquire, and uh, Sokol left the business. So you know, there have been changes to those, uh, you know, air presumptives over over that or air presumptive, I should say, over that period of time. Um, mm. But it just I look not not a big impact for investors. Just one of those funny things where you know a slip of the tongue and all of a sudden the world knows what was otherwise being kept secret. 
Charlie Munger strikes me as, as as someone who just doesn't give a shit what other people think or what pro, you know. He just you know he's he's oh, he's he's, he's at that stage of life where he just and I don't think that's the best part of getting to that age, right? It's like I don't care anymore no, about funny. about all of this stuff. So I'm sure I'm sure words were spoken, but I don't think Charlie lost a second's worth of sleep over it. Um, uh, yeah, look, I, I think look, I think. Whether any of the ones that were sort of potentially nominated, they're all likely to do a good job. They're all known quantities. Mm. They've all been at Berkshire mm. for a while. They've all got incredible histories. They all, they all, they all um, eat their own cooking. You know, they, 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 they get the culture. They understand what's important. They've sat at the knee of, of, of Warren and Charlie for a while. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see them destroying the legacy. Um, yeah. At least not immediately. So it was. I was interesting, but yeah, I don't yeah. think it. I don't think it, it changes the the behemoth, the the momentum, the the potential of, of Berkshire. I'm pretty sure that's true. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's move on from Berkshire. Come, come back home uh, to our own financial services companies but Berkshire's not exactly a finance company but has a big insurance operation so I'm definitely using that seg to avoid looking like I'm just changing subjects mid changing horses <laughs> midstream I think I got away with it what do you reckon um, yeah I'll, I'll go with it <laughs> mate this has been a big week for bank shareholders uh, three mm. of the big four banks all bar CBA have released results this this week profits mm. going through the roof compared to the same quarter last year now no well, surprise I'm glad, I'm glad you added that, that second part yeah, of the exactly. sentence there yeah. dividends doubling Again, versus the previous prior, yeah. prior period, but again, no surprise because they're back mm. in they're back in clover. Um, yep. So I mean, look, those numbers are real and they're impressive, and they and they are a bounce back, right? So for current shareholders, some sort of return to normalcy is welcome. Uh, probably overdue, I'm sure, for many people, but some sense of okay, we can now pretty much put the pandemic behind us financially, right? That that seems to be the view. Some headlines out this week saying the banks are even better coming out of the pandemic than the way they went in. So that's mm-hmm. all. That's all true. Mm-hmm. Things that caught my eye on top of that, so and that's you know that's I don't want to downplay it. You and I aren't bank fans, but I also don't want to I don't want to be too jaundiced about it. So that, that's real and that's that's welcome yeah. and encouraging for those shareholders. Yeah. What I what, what I thought was most interesting was Westpac's numbers in particular. Their revenue was up one percent, <laughs> just one percent. Now mm-hmm. you can you can you can play funny buggers not not a, not an immoral or unethical or illegal way at all, but you, you know you can change some numbers below the revenue line and, and get some profit growth, right? You write back some some provisions. Because uh, they, they they basically had a, uh, made provisions, effectively put some money aside just in case bad debts come out of the pandemic. When you put that money back in the main piggy bank, you get to report that as growing profits because it was a cost last year and that's all fair. So that, mm-hmm. that happened. But these banks aren't growing. And Westpac's no. numbers in particular were, or not their numbers, their announcement was actually, it was actually more about the, the rest of the detail rather than the numbers in this case because they're going to sell their wealth management business. Mm-hmm. They're going to get out of their superannuation business. They've talked about the fact they have they've had now twenty thousand loans settled entirely digitally. Uh, they're going to cut costs in their head office, and I don't know if they've actually said this out loud, but inferred that branch closures are on the way. And I think yeah. this is worth this is worth spending a little bit of time on because um, one of my I don't think I made up this phrase, but I possibly did. You can't cut your way to greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, cutting costs is a great way to absolutely business should not spend more on costs than they need to. And if you can reduce costs, of course you should. So not, no, no criticism. But that's kind of the last refuge of the, the struggling... Mm. Oh, struggling business sounds too tough. That's the last refuge of a business that's struggling to grow its top line, right? Mm. What do you do to, to kind of keep profits growing? Well, 
you just try and find more and more and more costs to take out. You try and find more and more efficiencies. Um, of course, you try and grow the top line, but if it's not growing, then you take out some costs. At some point, that stops. At some mm. point, there's only so many costs you can literally... And Westpac can take out 20% of their cost base over the next three years. I mean, mm. that is astonishing. You assume these people have jobs, these branches have customers. These are not, you know, it's not like there's 20% of the business over there that has been doing nothing. And by just yeah. literally, you know, locking the front door, they save those costs. These people are doing stuff. Um, that's going away. Uh, I just thought that was that was fascinating. We, we should be praying for branch closures, head office cost cutting, more bank job losses, unfortunately, for those impacted. Um, but it's also a reminder, I think, that unless you see as a bank shareholder a path for revenue growth to start again at some point, once this round of cost cutting is done, I don't know where bank profit growth comes from, mate. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, although I will say this, I do think there is a lot to cut for all of them because the world has changed. When was the last time you went into a bank branch? Um, about two and a half years ago with my mother-in-law. <laughs> and so about before that, maybe five plus years ago, I think. Right, okay. Now there'll be exceptions to that, um, but I'm the same, right? And in fact, I just occurred to me the other day because I went to get some money out of an ATM. I couldn't remember my PIN number because <laughs> I tap everything. So I'm not even using ATMs anymore. Mm-hmm. So I do think that the te- technology... Is particularly particularly with the rise and threat for these guys yeah. of the neo bank. I think I think I would be if I was CEO of a major bank. I would be, you know, putting putting the the question aside of how how that impacts people. I think I, I would be very seriously considering closing a lot of branches and that as well. I'm sure they're looking at these things, going, "Gosh, we've got all this real estate, we've got all of these these people, and they just they just they don't we can't justify." what they're doing because everything is just being done more and more and more online more and more being handled by by technology so yeah. i do think that I, I so i so i acknowledge your point i do think there is a lot of way to cut but then again once that's done which which is your which is your actual point then mm-hmm. what um and we also have to say i don't think either of us think the banks are going to stop growing i think they will grow but that growth will be more or less in line with the broader economy yeah um, right so it's going to be very, it's going to be very ordinary kind of growth, and, yep. and that's fine. There's absolutely, I actually wouldn't hesitate for a second to invest in a business that's that's stagnating its its earnings, provided that's at a sensible uh, price, and I'm getting a regular dividend. You can actually perfectly rationalise that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I I do think that we we there is a lot of um, particularly older investors who look at the performance of the banks in sort of the first decade of of mm, this century mm, and mm. and it just it just i mean they are spectacular spectacular returns but that just there's been a whole bunch of structural drivers at play that are no longer there so mm. so what next and that's fine but i just i just think for those that think that that you're you're going to be getting a total shareholder returns of 10% per annum on average going forward with these guys at these current prices i i just i don't see it frankly i don't see it i think that's yeah, I, I think I think I agree. I will take the. Oh, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, the the, the big question, of course, and it, I don't want to get back to house prices, frankly, because that's that's a whole other conversation. But you know, the the, the growth of the uh, growth of bank revenue being the, the pace of growth in the economy, I think is the steady state view. But that assumes yeah. that house prices don't exceed economic growth, or that credit growth doesn't exceed economic growth, or population growth, for example. And so I think mm. I think you're right, but I, I think there's 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 a chance that it's double the rate of economic growth and there's a chance that it's almost zero despite the economic growth if things go the other way right if if we end up having less credit growth or negative credit growth in other words we pay back more because maybe house prices fall right and so 
you know, the, the average house price falls, so the, new, the average new loan size falls. Um, I can absolutely see a scenario where, you know, this becomes a, a tougher ask for the banks. Or, by the way, a, a nice headwind because things like credit growth or, or, or house price growth take care of that. But it's, it's going to be a fascinating story, I've got to say. Uh, we yep. mentioned, of course, um, a couple of the things we we're going to talk about. Westpac, um, back in court. Uh, Dogecoin, uh, I want to talk about just very briefly because we mentioned okay. it. It's, it's another cryptocurrency. It was invented as a joke, literally <laughs> as a joke, like literally as a joke. It, it was designed to lose value. That, that's, that's inherent in its design as far as I'm aware. You may know more about this than I do, mate, because you're the new crypto guru. Um, <laughs> it, is designed, it is designed to lose value. It was only, be, hey, no one would buy this. Of course, that'd be stupid. $90 billion yeah. is the current US dollars, I think. I can't remember. Either way, it's, it almost doesn't matter at that level, right? Um, worth of Dogecoin, uh, according to, well, people who are buying this stuff because I don't know why. And we work for The Motley Fool. I do, sorry. Um, it's hard to talk about the greater fool theory and The Motley Fool at the same time without getting confused. But the broad <laughs> idea in, in, in investing, right, is that the greater fool theory is you. some people buy stuff just because they hope you're able to sell it later to some greater fool, right? It might be stupid, but if you know, if, if I can buy it for 10 to sell it for 12, it doesn't matter what it is. If as long as I can find someone to sell it to at a higher price, a greater fool yeah. than me, I'm okay. Um, yeah. How is Dogecoin just not that? I mean, this thing, literally, the longer you hold it, the less, less value it has. It, it's the proverbial burning platform, yet the price is going up. I think just yeah. because the price is going up. Yep, yep, and I am, I am, I am um, definitely not going to defend it. So it's, it's gone up 12,000%. So if you put $1,000 into this in January 1 this year, you mm. now have $121,000 um, and $121,052 as, as of uh, yesterday. That is, that is insane. And I think that is what's, what's driving the price, that it's gone yeah. up and that people are going, oh, it's going up. Um, I actually get that all the time with stock. So mates will yeah. go, oh, I'm buying this. And you go, oh, why? And they'll go, it's going up. And yeah, that's no, right. no, 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 no. It has gone up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's, that's fact. Exactly. Now, maybe it will go up, but you can't yeah. say it's, you know, it ha- there's, there's very important language we've, we've got to get correct here. But, yeah. but that's just, yeah. I, think, I think that's just human <laughs> nature. As I said before, nothing worse than watching your neighbor get rich. And you've seen this thing go up and up and up and up. There's all mm. these forums and stuff around and, you know, just influences and the, people are buying it because it's going up. And I think that is, it sounds stupid, but I, I would argue that's, that's why it's gone up <laughs> because it's, it's been it's going a, up. It's, it's <laughs> a heck of a thing, right? And I think you're right. And the other thing is people don't buy stocks or sell stocks because they're going down. And yeah. by the way, sometimes stocks that go up, you know, I mean, David Gardner, the Motley Fool co-founder, does actually like stocks that are going up because his view is that over time, that suggests the, market, the company must be doing something right because the market likes it more. And I think that's probably a, a heuristic that makes sense writ large. But that, I should say, by the way, that's not his only criteria. So he's not a momentum trader. Uh, but yeah, if, if he sees if he sees companies that are increasing in price over time, uh, he's, he's he's probably you know he's our chief rule breaker, and he makes the point of basically almost doing it to some of those other people who say you know um, it's going up, so, you know, it's too expensive, or it's going up, so it can't be whatever. The, the very point I think his point is if so, you know Berkshire's gone up for thirty years, uh, you know, fifty years as a straight line. Amazon's done the same. I own Amazon shares. Woolies has largely done the same. These are quality businesses that are worth more because they're doing something right, which makes sense. Mm. But yeah. that's not the point. You know, that's not the starting point. That's the end point, right? They are going up because 
they have real businesses that make real profits and, and generate real value for people, um, as opposed to Dogecoin, which is designed to do exactly the reverse. And yet here we here we are here we find ourselves. So so, a, so I'll I'll play devil's advocate here, and, and let me just really okay. stress that I am playing devil's advocate, and I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't buy it with your money, as you're fond of saying. Um, <laughs> But if there is a world out there where it just becomes accepted enough, enough people start yeah. accepting it yeah. as a currency, it, then, then it probably is worth more. But that's the bet that yeah. you're that you're making that there is a mass sort of almost global adoption totally. of this as a yeah. currency. Yeah. That, that's that's the bet. And, yeah. and if, yeah, sure. If that happens, then yeah, maybe it's worth a lot more well, than what it is. But I think except you know, that in the short term, mate, that may not be the that may not be the assumption, right? Because to your point, those people are playing the momentum game literally because of momentum. I'm not even thinking about that. No, they're, they're thinking, not. hey, no, they're not, this not, Dogecoin not. thing's popular. More people will probably yeah. buy it in a few years' time. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're in that game, you're not, you're not, you don't even care whether people use it as a currency. You're just simply saying, hey, a lot of people buy it, a lot of people are talking about it. I reckon more people will talk about it and more people will buy it. You're, you're, betting, you're betting on the, on, the, on, the, on the motivations of the buyers, not even the use case of the, of the currency, right? And that's, I mean, it's anathema to that's what's insane about what it. We both do. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's, but I, I'm just saying that if, if someone was to say, you know, I like to think I'm open-minded. It's like, okay, lay it out for me. Lay out the investment thesis here. And yeah. they sort of, they, that was their angle and they could substantiate that with some reasonable suppositions. Yeah. I'd think, yeah. okay, it seems, you know, <laughs> but, but, but at least there's some plausibility to it. And, and yeah. in, in, in the future, if we are to see it higher over, you know, sustainably higher over a longer period of time, that's kind of what needs to happen. So for those that are holding it or are tempted to do it, I think that's, yes, most people are doing it for the reason that it's just going up. But if you wanted mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. transensible, that, that's the bet that you've got to make. And not only that, but you're also competing against a gazillion other cryptocurrencies that are all trying to do the exact same thing as well. So, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's insane. It is very, it is, it is, it is strange out there. People talked about how <laughs> crazy 2020 was and 2020 was a really surreal year, but 2021's kind of continued apace. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's bizarre. I mean, there are porn stars oh. launching. You know, I think um, what's the yeah. Carol? Ba- what's her name from Tiger King? She's got a she's got a um, cryptocurrency launched at the moment. It feels very <laughs> 2017 again in a lot of this kind of stuff. So, and know. I think that's I, my, that's I'm, I'm fascinated point, to watch. Yeah, that's, that's I'm fascinated to watch all our listeners. Is there are the animal spirits are getting very very hot now? I'm not saying that means shares are overvalued, the market's overvalued, or anything's happening. I actually, frankly, I, I'm half. I have half suspicion. That ironically, the Bitcoin, crypto, whatever craze is actually good for investors, for, for share market investors, because it keeps the speculation somewhere else. You know, this kind of <laughs> if you've got to, if the if the relief valve is the mug punters are playing Bitcoin games rather than you know buying stocks, and that's you know it's inflating speculation over there, but not here. Then I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm kind of glad they're staying away from shares. So I'm not I'm not drawing a parallel between one to the other. But we do know the GameStop thing happened in February. We do know that there's plenty mm. of. Um, Plenty of money sloshing around and, and speculation and stuff. It's just it's just a reminder for me just to be really really careful. Invest yeah. invest well. Invest sensibly. Invest thoughtfully. Even buy Bitcoin if if you're in Andrew's camp, which is long term. This thing has a use case. Andrew's not saying, "Hey, the price might go up tomorrow, so I'm buying some today." He's oh, saying, God, no. five, ten no. years from now, lots of people will probably use Bitcoin." That that's I don't I actually I don't have a really strong view. I tend to I tend to be skeptical, but I, I don't absolutely disagree. Um, but if but he's investing for a long term on a long term perspective, on a long term basis, saying, "Hey, this thing has, I think, some long term value, so I'm going to own some," as opposed to, "Hey, Dogecoin's cool at the moment. Ha <laughs> ha, it's a dog on a coin. Let's buy some. Hope it will pay us mm. more tomorrow." 
Um, mm. That is pure speculation. As I said, I'm, I'm kind of glad it's happening over there <laughs> somewhere else. It doesn't impact me directly. Um, but it, it's a reminder for everybody that while those animal spirits are hot, they can be anywhere. Um, and just don't get caught up. Please don't get caught up in it because it's very, very likely uh, that if and when it does end in, in disaster, um, that a lot of money will be lost by a lot of people. If, if I'm right, and if these things are over the top, out of control, um, then if these are artificial booms slash bubbles and they do pop, then a lot of people are going to lose them a lot of money. Maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm not wrong, uh, then you know, don't I don't want our listeners to get caught up in it. Fair to say? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I, I would, I will say that what's happened with Dogecoin is kind of a bit of the underpinning I had for Bitcoin before, which is like you could have bought it at the start of your, you know, thousand bucks, thinking, oh my yeah. god, this, this is not going to work well. But if it does, <laughs> and so you know, you lose your thousand bucks or you make one hundred and twenty thousand yeah. bucks. That's that's yeah. kind of there, there is an argument for that for that. It's kind of a lot of you think though, isn't it? At some point, oh, oh yeah, it's totally. Like a million. Can I confess? I don't know if I've done this before to you, but I I, I buy a lot of ticket every week. Um, <laughs> you mentioned I, I buy now and again too, quite honestly. You know, it's they people have called it the stupid tax, and <laughs> and it is. Oh, it is. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and you, you, why? You know the maths. Yeah. You know the odds. Yeah. Why would yeah. you do this? And I and I I I just so you're come saying back there's to a the chance. Point. I just think, yeah. You, so wait. So you're telling me there's a chance? No, it, it's 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 um. If I'm on my deathbed and of all the regrets I will have in this life, and I'm sure that there'll be many, many regrets, um, yeah. it, it's not going to be that I spent two dollars seventy a week. Uh, 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 you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. it's. But but the that asymmetry is just there. It, every week someone wins, <laughs> right? So it's not like I I totally expect not to, but I kind of I the, I can rationalize it in that way. So I think if you're going to sort of get into this hype and crazy with with mm. this whether it's whether it's crypto or whether it's mining specky companies or whatever it happens to sort of be if you kind yeah. of go in with that that kind of if you are going to treat it as a bit of a punt and that's all it is and you mm. and you approach it in in that way then i i, I and it gives you some pleasure i can't fault that um if you want to sign and pretend that you're doing something that's very very sensible and low risk that's where i've got the problem and then you know, that's where if you're putting serious sums of money at uh at work in that kind of um play that's where i have a problem so there's there's there's, two, there's a very wide spectrum there but hopefully if, if you are in the game you're, you're more at the sensible end of that spectrum nice i like it but that's a very good way to finish because we've gone well over time but it was a useful worthwhile and i hope interesting conversation if you want to hear more from andrew he does run he is the founder and what are you the managing director ceo chief cook and bottle washer of strawman.com what do we call you i i liked it when um in the simpsons homer started his uh tech company and he, he said, no, I'm going to be, I'm president. No, 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 vice president. No, 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 junior vice president. You know, what, whatever sounds good on a business card, I will go with. But, there you uh, go. Yeah. Andrew Page, the junior vice president of strawman.com. Uh, if you want to hear more from Andrew, go to strawman.com, check it out. Um, Andrew is doing this podcast because he loves our listeners and, uh, and we love having him on. For those who remember, he was a full employee and he's always been a mate of mine. Um, so uh, good to have him back. And mate, we appreciate you spending your time with us. Check out strawman.com. Yeah, thanks for that. Always good to chat. Just just enjoy having a chat. This, this isn't was. work. This is just you and me getting together over Zoom and <laughs> talking rubbish. Loud, and and turn, turns out that, that some people like to listen to it. So that's And that's, I, I get paid for this hour of work. Don't, don't say it's not work. I'll, I'll lose my, uh, okay. I'll lose my, my pay. <laughs> uh, if you want to see and hear more from Andrew, jump on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. If you want to hear more from me on Twitter at TMF Scott P. Keep that in your head for a second. Our at the Motley Fool AU are our Twitter handles. Those same two handles work for you on Instagram at TMF Scott P or at the Motley Fool AU. If you're on Facebook, and of course you are, 
slash Scott Phillips Money is my personal page or The Motley Fool Australia is our company page and if you want to send us an email you can info at fool.com.au I share those because they're important I share those because we love hearing from you and I share those because Andrew's going to join me again on Sunday for a very special although completely regular and every single week edition <laughs> of our mailbag The Motley Fool Money mailbag will be coming to you this Sunday so if you haven't yet subscribed please do subscribe to the podcast it's the best way to make sure it drops in your feed automatically as I've asked before, please do give us a rating. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Um, we do this for, for, frankly, a bit of love and a bit of brand recognition, let's be really honest. But um, we do it because we love it. We do it because it's fun. And we do it because we hope we're helping you as well. And as I said before, if we're helping you, I figure we can probably help some other people as well. Uh, we'll do our best to promote it. Uh, but if you can do us uh, a favor, do us a solid, and let your friends, family, and other people know as well, we'd super appreciate it because it means they can find uh, they can find the podcast and hopefully they can learn a few things at the same time. Mate, it's been fun. Thank you for joining me. See you Sunday. I'll see you then. Thanks, babe. In the meantime, full on. See ya. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.